Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. And let's head to Plano. Roger, first call of the day. How can I help you? Hey, it's my lucky day. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. My pleasure. So I've got a, uh, a 25-year-old gas water heater. I suspect is living on borrowed time, and I want to replace it before Thanksgiving. And I've watched your recent podcast and also listened to your calls about tankless water heaters. But there's one thing that I, I, I'm not sure I'm clear on. I looked at this probably 15 years ago, maybe 14 years ago, and a plumber uh-huh. told me to do this. I need to get an upgraded uh, gas meter from Atmos and then uh, it, with higher pressure. And then I have to put pressure regulators everywhere other than where I'm putting the tankless water heater. And then uh, you said you need to upgrade your, your pipes to, to, to one inch. So I heard on your podcast that the, the, the half-inch pipe will do fine if it's 20 feet run, I guess. So. Right. But the question is, do I still need to get an upgraded high-pressure gas meter? I seriously doubt it. Okay. Uh, technology on the water heaters. Yeah, the improvements over the years has greatly changed a lot of that. But also, if you went back 20 years ago, most plumbers didn't want to install tankless because they didn't understand the systems. And so Mm -hmm. they would come up with stuff that just really wasn't true. So he was right. I mean, 20 years ago, you had to have a minimum of a three-quarter inch line going to the water heater. Uh, That's no longer the case. Uh, venting has gotten better. Uh, just everything has been upgraded on these tankless water heaters. And, and if you're uh, looking at going tankless, I highly recommend you get somebody out there to, to take a look and see what it would take to get your house ready for it. Okay. One one more question. The, the, uh, sure. the ones I've looked at from Renee, I guess, range from a 7-gallon per minute to a 10-gallon per minute. I'm replacing a, a water heater that supplies a uh, master bath, a utility room, and a kitchen. So I've got a washing machine, a dishwasher, a sink, and then the shower. Would you recommend getting a higher gallon per minute unit, or does that really matter? Well, the way they size them is based on the size of the the house, the number of fixtures that are there. So, you know, they look at, okay, the kitchen sink, how many bathroom sinks, showers, uh, the washing machine, and they add all that stuff up and say, okay, so you've got to be able to handle X number of gallons per minute. And that's how it's okay. uh, determined which one you need. And I don't have the charts with me to, to tell you or I'd look it up right now because it's, it's it's pretty easy to do. Okay, but, but, but your company would, would, could do that easily, correct? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay. West, okay, so West Plumbing would love to do so, it for you. Okay. The last question I have is I, I, I've read – I listened actually three times to your podcast about condensing and non-condensing. I'm replacing the one in the garage, uh, so it's on the ground floor, and it's already vented. I think you said that the the non-condensing is the most popular, which I translate into cheaper. Um, Is there any reason for me to get a condensing unit since it's in my garage and and it's already got the venting necessary to to handle a uh, a non-condensing? Well, it may not have the vent necessary. On a tankless, the vent for non-condensing is a double wall stainless steel and they're pretty pricey and so the condensing uh, can actually be done with the standard vent that is there or even PVC so 
Um, in most cases, I recommend people go with the condensing. Okay. They're also they're also drain. more efficient. Okay. It need to drain down somewhere into a, to a, a drain, right? Which means if it's on the ground floor, how's it going to drain down? Well, okay, if it's on the ground, ground it's up with a pedestal. It's on the pedestal, eighteen inches high. Okay, so I mean, it can drain even outside in in some oh, cases. Okay. It, it just yeah, so the, it just uh, has to be looked at to see where it can be drained. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give uh, Due West a call and get this on the way. Hopefully, get done before Thanksgiving when the when the hordes arrive. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could say it's not done and maybe tell them to go somewhere else. Uh, that might not. Well, that's usually <laughs> when a water heater breaks down when you have company, right? Absolutely. The sewer plugs well, and the water heater quits. <laughs> you yeah. have a good one. Right. Heading to Athens, Pete. You doing all right today? Doing wonderful. How can I help you? <laughs> that's just the opposite now how can i help you <laughs> <laughs> okay on on hardy board siding and hardy board trim like a one before on on the trim and a the lap siding uh i've yes, seen sir. different uh recommendations of how to hang it uh a lot of builders will just shoot nails through their one before yeah and it's my understanding that that's not what you're supposed to shoot plus it damages your guns shooting it through concrete boards uh and then lap siding it's my understanding they have the screws that that's what they you're supposed to use uh what what do you say there are nails designed specifically for doing hardy siding uh okay and there are screws as well so yes it can go either way nails or screws but it's not just a regular finish nail. No, sir. Okay. Specialty nail, would, would you have to have a special gun for that? Uh, now I believe they have them set up to go in regular guns. Okay. So it would be a headed nail like a six-penny with a head or something like that on it? Yeah. In fact, uh, on the Hardy stuff, almost all Hardy is designed to have a head on it of some kind, not not be just a regular finish nail. Yes. Well, my problem, I knew a man that did it with finish nails, but if you put the headed nails, you got circles all the way up and down your trim, and then you have to figure out either leave the dots all over it or, or put some kind of a wood filler and try to wood texture it. Well, what's recommended uh, is after you've put the nail and it, it uses a smaller head not a not a really big head but uh, after that it's recommended that they're touched with a uh, dab of caulking and, and then smear and it then you can paint give it the wood grain yep okay. all right well thank you for your help janet in dallas how can i help you hi jim i had a question about plumbing our uh-huh. house is built in 64 and we have the service company come out once a year and so they were recently out looking at the plumbing and they recommended well they always recommend something but they recommended um over a period of time changing out the fittings for the i'm assuming it's the handle where you can turn off the water supply right they said it's the old kind not to code and I was wondering if that's necessary. 
Well, I really wouldn't worry that it's not to code because it met code when it was done and you don't need to bring it up to code. Your bigger issue is if they're not used on a regular basis, uh, they will tend to start seizing up and not work when you need them to work. Uh, and so that would be a bigger reason to, to look at possibly having to change them out. So okay. while, all I would do is I would try the valves out. If they're still working fine, leave them. If they won't shut the water off, change it out. So I'm assuming that means if they're hard to turn. Well, no, what it really means is because you'll be able well, some of them you probably won't even be able to turn, but uh, on others you'll turn it and you'll get it to, to where it's clamped down and water uh-huh. is still leaking by. Oh, oh, I get it. Actually, Jay, you look like your call is going to be pretty quick. Go ahead. I know there's the music's going to be playing here, but go ahead. Jim, I got a uh, house that's about 15 years old, got builder grade aluminum windows. And when it's cold outside, um, it seems that there's there being a bunch of condensation. I'm going to yep. get them replaced probably next year. Is there anything I can do, just a quick fix to alleviate that condensation? Yeah, if you want to, uh, they make some plastic uh, pieces that you can, I say pieces, it's just a sheet that you can adhere around the edge. You heat it up with a blow dryer and it shrinks and it creates a dead air space. And that will greatly reduce the amount of condensation because uh, you're basically insulating it. Uh, and it doesn't look as bad as what it sounds like. It, it actually does a, a fairly decent job. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. We're going to head up to Atascacita. Hello, Veronica. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. <laughs> um, I have a question. I have a two-story house, and I noticed, uh, like, within the last two years, on the second level, when you walk, there are a couple areas I can hear, like, that squeaking. And, like, downstairs, you can tell somebody's walking up there because you can hear this squeaking up there. Right. Um, what's the solution for... When you hear that squeaking, is that the the wood underneath the carpet, or? Yes, yeah, that's that's the uh, wood typically moving on the nails that were used to put the plywood down, or if it's okay. two by sixes uh, used to nail those down. But the squeak is usually it's just sliding on that nail a little bit. Okay, is there anything I can do about that? Well, there are some things. Uh, is it carpet, you said? Yes, there's carpet uh, carpeting upstairs. Okay. They actually make some screws for this type of situation that you can screw right through the carpet, through the plywood. Now, you got to find where the floor joists are, and it'll screw it into the floor joist. And then when it gets tight, the head breaks off, but the screw itself is down underneath, so it's flat with the plywood top and that tightens everything up and and holds it where it doesn't squeak then okay but it's not like anything that's gonna like damage the floor if it's not oh no not not a bit in in older houses we call it character character okay (laughs) all right um so we mentioned something about joists how do i find where the joists are 
Well, sometimes you can find them simply by walking on the floor. You'll you'll hear the hard spot versus a a hollow spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you'll go to uh, the uh, box stores, Lowe's, Home Depot, uh, they actually make stud finders now that use a uh, some type of sonar thing because it doesn't require you to have a nail or anything for it to read. It, it literally reads the wood itself, and that will you can just move it across the floor and it lights up and shows you exactly where the stud is uh you can use it on the walls for finding pictures and stuff in fact i did a, a little quick video clip uh a week or two ago with one because my son bought it and uh we were putting in some trim and wow did it make it easy i mean it used to be you had to knock and find the hollow spots this thing you just move it across and it shows you exactly where the stud is and and uh, that would do what you need to get done. Oh, you, great. Okay, so it can be used for the floor and the wall. Yep, yep. Okay, great. So I just need to find where the joists are, and then I would have to purchase um, nails, you said? It, it's a it's a breakaway screw. Breakaway, breakaway screw, okay. And then just, it put that where the joists are, where the set finder finds yep. the joists. And that'll okay. tighten it up. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. We're going to head to Pearland and Bruce. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hi, Jim. I've got a question about hon- concrete raising for driveways and sidewalks. What do you think of that? System? Okay. Well, and, I and how happen you, to. What do you think of the well, I happen to have one of those vehicles that uh, does that, you know, the foam injection. And uh, the, the concept works great. Uh, you, you drill a 5-8-inch hole, you put a, an insert in there, inject foam. It basically puffs up and forms a little donut. And as it expands, it raises the concrete up. Uh, the foam is very similar to what you get out of a can of great stuff you know the red cans of spray foam it's just heavier and it comes in different poundages you can get a a two pound or four pound depending on you know what you're lifting like on a a highway or a runway you'd be using the four pound on a uh, sidewalk or patio the two pound is fine so it it does different things as far as how long it's going to last it's not a matter of the foam lasting because it lasts the problem is you're still on the active soil, so the next time the soils dry out and shrink, it's going to move because you're just sitting on the soils. Or if you do it during a dry time, uh, you, you inject it in there, and then we get moisture. The soils expand. It will pick the concrete up higher than you want it. So that's something you got to watch with it when you're using that type of product. Is there a limit how high you could raise the concrete? The the limit's not so much the material as it is the cost because the the material is pretty pricey, and so usually if you start getting into having to pick something up, you know three four inches or more, it's not cost effective to use it. Is it a lot, is a lot less expensive than replacing the concrete? If you're only doing say 
uh, uh, having to lift it up an inch because you got two pieces of concrete and one side is lower than the other, yes, it's very cost effective. But like I said, if you're having to do a, a large area and picking it up several inches, then it's not. I just got tilting plates in my driveway. I just thought I'd try to straighten that out before the crack. Yeah, typically for something like that, it'd be cost effective. Uh, you know, Concrete Raising Corporation, you can call them or you can call Due West. Both of us have equipment and uh, can handle that for you. Thanks. I appreciate your help. You bet. You take care. Terry in Kingwood, how can I help you? Um, yeah, I've got a house that's uh, outside of Austin, about 40 miles, and I'm not going to be there over the winter. And I just want to know about that water heater. The water heater is up in the attic. Uh, I don't know if I should empty it out, you know, just leave it alone or, you know, just so nothing happens. I don't think anything will happen, but, I mean, just so, you know, it doesn't freeze or anything like that if it's got... Sure. Because they're usually still pretty full, right? Is it gas or electric? It's electric. Okay. Yeah, it's just Uh, a 30-gallon. Yeah, so... you, you know, if you're going to leave it down for a couple of months, you don't want to drain it because you can actually cause damage to the water heater being drained like that. Okay. So your choices become leave it on so it stays warm. It's not going to freeze then. Uh, you can shut the power off, and that's a, a large enough piece of water that unless we get into a hard freeze for an extended period of time, in other words, I wouldn't worry about it until we drop down to say something like 17 degrees and we're going to stay down there for two three four days in a row then you've got an issue to deal with uh and it, it, yeah, it would be as simple as turn it back on okay so um no i don't i don't leave the uh i usually don't leave the water on you know through the Correct. pipes i usually drain the pipes so um if i drain the pipes uh that'll be okay you know, and then just leave the water heater, just leave the, the electric, just turn, I guess, leave that, that breaker on for the electric water heater and just, um, you know, so if I leave the water heater full and leave the breaker on to keep it warm, I can still drain the pipes throughout the house, Correct. right? You can, yes. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The one thing I would do is turn the temperature down on it to a low setting because you don't need it you know, extremely hot at that point. Oh, uh, but, yeah, like just maybe 50, leave. 50 degrees or something? Yeah, just turn it almost all the way down. So it stays warm, but it, it's not boiling the water away by any means, you know? Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, all right, I, I, yeah, I guess I can do that. So just go ahead and leave the, the breaker on that keeps the water warm, yep. and then I should be good then. Correct. Okay, all right, I guess I'll do that then. All righty, you take care. Let's head to Spring, and John, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hi, Jim. How are you? Wonderful. I, uh, I have a new uh, irrigation system, in-ground irrigation system, and they installed a backflow preventer that's underground, and I was right. curious as to what I need to do to protect that during the cold weather. It's got a uh, cover on it, right? Yes, sir. Not a thing. Nothing at all? No insulation inside that underground box or anything? Nope. Nope, because un- underground that way, the temperature stays pretty consistent. Uh, we don't get a hard enough freeze 
that the ground itself will freeze and so you yeah it'll the heat from the ground itself will keep it just fine if you come up out of the ground and have a, a backflow preventer then you would have to insulate it but as long as it's underground in that box you'll be just fine okay thank you very much you've answered my question you bet you take care and for everybody else listening look at it this way your water meter is underground and it's not insulated it's just the ground temperature takes care of let's head to spring and james this is jim how can i help you hello jim uh yeah this is james i'm working on a rental property i have in willis mm-hmm. that um i've owned it about 10 years and i did foundation work on it when i first bought it and we had to do some more we have found uh two or three plumbing leaks that we had to do some breakouts and uh, the last one um we still have to f- complete that repair but when we dug out the hole in the slab uh, to get in there to the plumbing i noticed that there was about a four to six inch gap between the soil and the underside of the slab Okay, and in uh, in quite a bit of uh, space there. So we just adjusted this slab a few weeks ago and came up about two inches. My question okay. is, having uh, one of these companies that uses uh, urethane uh-huh. to drill a hole in there and and fill that void. Only if you want to spend a lot of money on the foundation later. A lot of money on the foundation later? Yep. If you think about what causes foundation problems, the soils, when they dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand. Right now, we've been going through some pretty dry periods. The soils are shrunk. You fill that void. When it starts raining and the soils do finally hydrate again, it'll heave that area of the house up and make it higher than you want it the the old way of doing foundation repair after it was lifted they would fill those voids and and i'm talking if we go back 35 years and yeah, it just remember that all jacking. kinds of yeah. oh yeah and, and urethane is the same as mud jacking it's just filling the void uh and it creates all kinds of issues so no the just leave the void let the soil expand and contract without moving the foundation and you'll be much better off i've got the i've got like a five uh, four to six inch gap though i mean i can yep. actually look in there and see that see that gap yeah and whether you've got a, a one inch gap a one foot gap or a 10 foot gap uh you know it's not touching the soil no matter how much the gap is and so there's not going to be a big difference between one inch one foot or ten foot uh it it, it not going to it's not going to change anything and i will tell you you know i'm in foundation repair i dig under foundations every day and i would tell you 90 percent of the time if if not 99 percent of the time when we get underneath there there's at least a one to two inch gap in the four inch area what touches okay. the soil typically is the beams you know the perimeter beam and then yeah. the cross beams through the middle of the house 
the four yeah. inch part almost always has a void, so there, there's not a reason to fill it, and it will be detrimental to fill it. Because once it uh, once it expands with the moisture, well, then it's going to have a lifting action. Okay. Correct. And if we well, and you fill if you fill it when it's wet, the first time the soils dry out, you're going to have a gap again, anyways. Yeah. Well, this is up in the middle of the house. It's not around the perimeter, and yep. um, I don't know how moisture. How the, how's the moisture actually? Is it just a wicking action that would get that yes, far sir. into the slab? Yep, they okay. call it through capillary action, which is basically the wicking action of it. Okay, okay. All right. Well, wanted your opinion on that. I appreciate it. Save yourself some money. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Take uh, care. Good day, sir. Bye. And, and again, it, it's you know, old school was to fill those voids, and it did not work. It created all kinds of problems, and. So everybody stopped doing it. Engineers stopped recommending it. Now, there's a few engineers who weren't around back then who are starting to recommend it again. They will learn, and they will stop. It's not one of those things that you want to do. You know, your your, your first reaction is, oh, it's it's got too much void. I've got to fill some of it. But that really is not the case. Just leave it alone, and Mother Nature will take care of it on its own. Carl, how can I help you? I'm fixing to get some prices on building a 40 by 60 shop. Concrete floor, metal building, insulated walls. And my neighbor's got one, and inevitably that floor sweats terribly. How do you make sure? Is that a foundation, uh, you know, putting plastic under it, or is that a air movement problem? How do, how do you make sure your shop floor won't you know, that's a common problem, especially when they have uh, drastic temperature changes. So is his doing it all the time or just when there's major changes? It, it, you know, the times I've been down there, it's either rained recently or, or you know, maybe it got more humid. Yeah. I just, I just didn't know if, you know, I, you see some people put plastic before they pour, and, you know. I didn't know if it well, was the primary, from the ground. Well, the primary from, reason plastic is put in is so that the soil doesn't draw the moisture out of the concrete when they pour it. Okay. Now they're also putting the plastic in to keep moisture that's in the ground from wicking up through the concrete and coming to the surface. So absolutely I would recommend that you put plastic down. That's, that in itself is going to help. The other thing though that can you know really almost eliminate this is just put a little dehumidifier in there in the corner okay. and that that helps with the humidity level in there, which will help keep the uh, floor from sweating. Uh, and if you're going to insulate it and such, uh, you know, are you going to air condition in this space? Well, I hadn't planned on it. I just had planned on you know, roll up doors on a, you know all four sides to get good air. Movement. Right. Okay. Well, the reason I ask, typically, if you put air condition or uh, if you put insulation in an unair conditioned space. It ends up having the opposite effect of what you want. Uh, by that I mean, yes, first thing in the morning, it'll it'll keep it from getting too warm in there. But as the day goes on and, and the insulation absorbs all the heat, it's just letting it through. But worse, as evening comes, when it starts cooling off, 
that insulation is now releasing all that heat inside. And so it, it actually has the opposite effect of what you typically want. If you're going to have this as just a workshop and you want to you know, keep it cooler than just regular metal, which I do recommend, take a look at some radiant barrier. They make a bubble wrap type radiant barrier. Okay. It looks like bubble wrap. But if you'll put that on before you put the sheet metal on the sides, that will typically drop the temperatures 15 degrees in there. Excellent. Yeah, I was just going to put a couple of uh, big-ass fan brand uh, fans in it. Yep. And uh, wanted the insulation for wintertime when I wanted to put the heaters in there. So. Well, and, you know, and if that's the case, yeah, you still may want to put the insulation. Uh, but radiant barriers in general will take care of that uh, summertime heat to, to keep it from being too hot. Now, the right type of radiant barrier will work both directions and keep the heat inside, and that's that's where you'd start dealing with the energy queue. But the bubble wrap type is a lot less expensive uh, if all you're trying to do is keep the heat out of it. So, Excellent. Well, as always, okay. you got great advice, and I appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it. You take care. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.